0: I'm Elnaz
1: And I'm Matt
0: You're listening to Unorthodox Middle Easterners
1: Together with our guests, we share untold stories of the Middle East We are back. Hi Mert. Good to be back. Yeah, good to be back and we have an exciting topic today. another unorthodox topic, another non-typical discussion and different perspective about our lives and experiences back in the Middle East.
0: Exactly. So today we're going to talk about regime change. Mm-hmm. You are from Iraq mm-hmm. where the government was changed, the government of Saddam Hussein was changed by invasion of foreign forces. Mm-hmm. And I'm from Iran, where people are trying to change the government, and they are having a hard time. So, we're going to talk about this, right?
1: <laughs> yes. Well, we we tried to, in Iraq. I didn't try personally. People tried for a long time to overthrow and change Saddam Hussein. It just it didn't work out uh, until we had the like Americans come basically and take him down, which is uh, a very controversial topic that we will be touching also in our discussion. Yeah.
0: So you were you were there when yes. that happened? Mm-hmm. Do you wanna do you wanna talk about this? Where do you want to start?
1: So I think we, because uh, learning about what's happening today, it's a lot connected to what happened in the history. So I would suggest we starting a little bit talking about the history and the background of the country, and then uh, jumping from there on. Why are we here today?
0: Okay, tell mm-hmm. me more. I I love to hear this. You know, as much as we are neighboring countries, I don't think I know much about the history of my <laughs> well,
1: rock, so. we, we were busy fighting each other, you know. We didn't- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when we talk about Iraq, I always like to start the discussion with where is Iraq? What is Iraq in the history comparing to uh, the modern Republic of Iraq that was established in the 1920s after World War one by the british and if you look specifically to the current iraqi map it is basically drawn after world one two world one one by the mm-hmm. british in a way that works for them by forcing people with different affiliation and background to live together and that is the main reason why we've been fighting each other for the last hundred years and we are continuing to fight each other because the understanding of uh, the people of iraq from what i see from the history and this is very unpopular opinion in Iraq. Is we were forced to create an identity, we were forced to live together. There, mm-hmm. if you go back to the history and uh, like the all, for the longest, the Ottoman Empire and before that the Safavid Empire uh, ruled Iraq for very the like Iraq today for a very long time. You you will see that there is nothing called Iraq. So right. mainly, it was divided uh, into three uh, areas, and it's culturally divided into three areas when you look today. There's the north with Mosul as being uh, the the largest city, which is where I'm from. It was like it's very ethnically diverse. You see the Arabs, you see the Kurds, you see the Turkmen's, you see the Assyrians. That's where like a large Jewish community used to live. You see the Armenians and all the people from different backgrounds who are I consider like the different. Uh, groups who lived in, in Mesopotamia for a long time. Then you mm-hmm. have the center, which is Baghdad, uh, is the biggest city. And that was the center of the Abbasi, Hilafat. Uh, and because before before that, uh, it, 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 it did exit in, under like, different civilization, under the Persian Empire for uh, like a, a while. And that part you see as an identity, mostly is uh, uh, Arab, Sunni Arabs and Mm-hmm. They are, identity-wise, very close culturally, traditionally with uh, Jordan, with Saudi Arabia. And then you have the southern part of Iraq, which Basra being the largest city. And on the, you know, like, I always joke about, is it the Persian Gulf or the Arab Gulf? Like we've been right. fighting over, like people been fighting over that for years. So Basra was like directed to the Gulf and that part of Iraq is Shia Arabs. And identity-wise, they are very close to the Shia Arabs of Ahwaz in Iran. Uh So it is very different. The thing in common between these three regions, there's so many natural resources. And the British basically were like, let's draw a map in a way that we can get the most of the resources that we can get under one country, so we can rule them all together, and we can take it away from the French, who were like ruling Syria, from Iran at the time, and from the young Turkish Republic in uh, Turkey. So this is basically what it is, and you have people with very different backgrounds, very different identities, who've been living together. And the biggest uh, example for that is if you look at the uh, uh, historically or like the uh, political history of Iraq. So it's divided to six parts. Uh, the first one is the royal era from the 1920s until 1958. Then you have the First Republic, nineteen fifty-eight to nineteen sixty-three, uh, and then you have the Second Republic from nineteen sixty-three to nineteen sixty-eight, and then we have the Baathist Republic, Saddam Hussein's regime, from nineteen sixty-eight until two thousand three, and after uh, two thousand three, we have what I what I like to call the democratic chaos. Uh right. and It has been like now, like coming to eighteen years. I was you know very young when it started, and the thing in common between all. Uh, the republics until uh, the democratic chaos after 2003 is in everyone, uh, like every uh, republic or every form of government, including the royal family, ended with a military coup.
0: Mm, very interesting, yeah. and you know, it, while you were saying the days, I'm kind of like comparing to what's happening in Iran, and mm-hmm. it occurred to me that like 1968 you mentioned is when Saddam Hussein comes to power is pretty much when the Islamic Revolution happens in 1979.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would love to hear about like if you can give us and like our listeners also uh, like a quick run through the Iranian history, like you know, starting. I think World War One is a big uh, changing, uh, you know, me- like reason in the power of the Middle East. What happened after that, and what what was going in Iran? Because I don't want to be just talking about Iraq the entire time. So th- I think that is what built the beauty of our discussion. Since we met the first in the first time, is like we talk about our experiences and compare them.
0: Right. Yeah. So pretty much like around World War Two, Iran has like Islamic uh, government ruling different part of the, so, um, Iran, basically the, uh, the Qajar dynasty is ruling Iran. And then there's, there comes this military man who joins the Persian Gaslog in 1911, becomes a colonel. Um, he's, he's backed by British government and he captures the capital in 1921, becomes prime minister. And two years later in 1925, declares himself a king starting the last dynasty of Iran. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, so this is the first kind of like n- non-religious government of Iran. Reza Shah wants to bring modern ideas to Iran. He's traveled around. He wants to modernize the country. Um, but he's also sympathized with Germans. So with World War II, he decides to be neutral, but allies needed to use Iran to help, to help Russia uh, during the World War II. So without declaring any war, UK and Soviet Union just kind of invade Iran, occupy Iran, and force Reza Shah to abdicate. So his son becomes um, the king. He was a, 22, he was a 22-year-old He a 22 young man, and he's ruling a country until 1979 when we have the Islamic Revolution. And Islamic Revolution comes um, is supported by Different groups. There is definitely the, the Islamic groups that supporting the revolution, but also there are some leftists that have a communist ideology and there's some student movements that want more freedom of speech and they want, um, they want better democracy. They don't want a king. So basically, in 1979, after the revolution, kind of like a few months after the revolution, there's a referendum. And the referendum is only like, do we want an Islamic Republic or not? And supposedly, 98% of the population voted for mm-hmm. that. And that made the Islamic uh, Sharia law the law of the land, as opposed to like our constitutional human rights. Mm-hmm. So that meant um, a lot of misery for women. That meant uh, we, we can. Definitely should talk about this after we go through the history. But that's the beginning of Islamic Republic of Iran, which have been ruling Iran up to this date, which is about 42 years at this mm-hmm, point.
1: I see. When you talk to Iraqi people, the best time for them is the royal family. because mm-hmm. And and that is which 1920s, year? 1920s, the establishment of Iraq like as a modern country until 1958. Mm-hmm. So... The reason why, if you look at back to that time, it was more stable, the economy was better. But at the same time, Iraq was 5 million people. Today, Iraq is 40 million people. Right. So the population mm-hmm. was smaller. The people were more educated uh there was there like so the Ottoman Empire was not the best way of uh, like managing ruling Iraq but it wasn't unstable as it it happened afterwards because one of the biggest thing for the Ottoman Empire is the three regions of Iraq had a high level of uh, autonomy. So everyone mm-hmm. managed their own things so that's why like uh, the, the the central government situation, it was something that was very new. So like then a lot of uh, things would come from Istanbul as like the main decisions for like the high level policies, but the government would not get involved in like basics about the region or like how people interact with each other or like the law. It was basically taxes was the main thing that was across the board and military. These were the only two things that was standardized across the
0: board. Interesting. So people- how like how big was the Ottoman Empire? Where, where was it? Uh, what did it include? At the time, so
1: the Ottoman Empire uh, at the time, and then like when when it fell down, it included in the like uh, World War One, it included Turkey today, it included uh, Iraq, (laughs) included Syria, included uh, like Palestine slash Israel today, included Lebanon, included parts of Saudi Arabia, including Mecca and Medina. Uh, Egypt was long gone; it was parts of Libya was left, parts of with Turkish majority that was left in Bulgaria and also uh what we what in turkey called the like west thrace which is uh, the eastern part of uh greece and uh, you had uh, also uh, parts of the selanikho which is the area where, where mustafa kemal ataturk the founder of turkey was born so what mm-hmm. and but the turkish government the ottoman government kept losing land over the last 200 years until the fall of the empire to different nationalist movements to like they for example they gave cyprus to the british and then they lost albania like to the albanians they lost like you know serbia to the serbians and then like there was different parts that was uh, lost throughout that time
0: Very interesting. So basically a lot of identities that we see today, like, you know, Syria, Mm -hmm. Israel, Palestine, Iraq, Turkey, they are all new with their past hundred years that appeared in the Middle East.
1: That's why you remember we talked about like my grandparents, when they moved from uh, Azerbaijan, from northern Iran, and they moved to uh, Iraq today, Kirkuk, where I was born, where my dad was born, they they did not cross borders because at that time there was no borders. So like exactly. Basically packed and like so, it's like the Azerbaijan area in Iran. Like the main language is like Azerbaijani Turkish, and where my parents were, like where my grandparents lived, is uh, Iraqi Turkish, like a different dialect of Turkish. And the area in the middle are where Kurdish people live. And my grandfather had the story of like when they were traveling he said like they would reach to a point where they cannot communicate with people because people would speak another language as the other language was Kurdish right. and they just keep them just like keep moving south there are people who speak your language in the south so they just kept moving until huh. they reached to Erbil where which is like the head of the uh, like the Kurdistan region in Iraq today that's where it was the first time they found people who spoke the same language or that's where they settled first
0: you know, I, Mary, you you made this joke about the flying carpet. Did they did they travel with the flying carpet? <laughs> I was just like, how did they travel? They
1: Walked. They walked for a long time. There is like, yeah, that is oh, no whole another story. That like, I'm sure we will touch at some point. But like, why did they leave? Uh, how did they leave? Why did mm-hmm. they have to go all the way to the south instead of I don't know heading up north to uh, like Azerbaijan, the Republic of Azerbaijan today. So that's whole another story. That it's going to be really yeah. deep. And like, so going back to the uh, like the establishment of Iraq. So this identity was created in 1920, and they were just like, okay, this region called Iraq. You are Iraqis now. You live together. Okay, who's going to rule us? The Ottomans been ruling us for like 300 years. Before that was the Safavid. Before that was like small tribes basically. And they were like, okay, so there is no one who's qualified to run the country and they decided to bring king faisal the first king of iraq to become the like the ruler of the country and the ironic part mm-hmm. of that one is that king faisal is not even from iraq yeah oh so where he was is is the son of hussein bin ali who was the emir of mecca uh, and he helped the british when they were fighting uh, the ottoman empire and uh, they put uh, first they the, the so first the french decided to reward uh, hussein bin ali by appointing his son to be the king of Syria, and then he, was, he didn't mm-hmm. do well there. And the British, the the French, just decided to like remove him. And then the British were like, okay, they removed him from there. Your dad is a nice guy. Let's move. You can now become the king of Iraq. This <laughs> is basically what it is. And like, the, it is ironically that Iraqis love this guy and love the the kingdom like the, that that time because there are like everything after that is worse than the kingdom. They have right. more memories oh, about that. There's like one other thing about yeah. him. He's also among the supporters of the nationalist Arab ideology, like Saddam Hussein, Jamal Abdel Nasser in Egypt. All these people started that, mm-hmm. which is ruled Iraq for 35 years. Rule still uh, have in power in Syria. And there is no need to explain how many people uh, were died, how many p- families lost, had to move, uh, they lost their like lands for generations because of the Baath regime and the Arab nationalist ideology
0: right that's that's interesting you know it's it's definitely com- common similarity between Iran and Iraq too, because a lot of people look mm-hmm. back to the Pahlavi dynasty and look to the king and say, "Hey, that was actually better, and we went really we went downhill really fast after that, what it wasn't flawless, like as much as people look at it and say, Hey, you know it was great, definitely compared to the Islamic Republic, there was problems there was some oppression of uh, freedom of speech there was um, a lot of fear among people uh, with the security mm-hmm. forces.
1: And exactly, there what is, the name was Savak, um, right? Their security forces. Yeah, exactly. I, I heard so many yeah. stories about them from my parents.
0: Yep, exactly. Like people are afraid that their family mm-hmm. is Savak, so you you dare not to speak. Which, like, compared to to today's Iran, I would say they were much nicer to people. To to compare to Islamic Republic, what they do to people is much worse yeah. than what Savak did, but. And there was flaws I there, see. too. Well,
1: it is, it is the, the same way uh, you said, like people will think that their family members are Sabak. It's the same thing in Iraq, they call Istighbarat, which means like intelligence Services. And uh, it's like people will be afraid of talking about Saddam Hussein during in their house because they will be just like, well, maybe they, uh, the government replaced something in the house to listen to us and they will come and take us. That's <laughs> like, it's a very interesting way of like how you, uh, there's a book called The Republic of Fear and uh, it is by one of the like iraqi uh you know he was an architect then he moved uh, to to the us and he lived here uh, and he brought that book up explaining the way that this fear mentality built among the people and i love the way that you mentioned is like the connection to the history and creating identity uh but like no one knows if cyrus was persian or not like, you know, the same thing with like with the like what saddam hussein did was like we are the ancestor of yeah. Babylonian and Hammurabi, who is like the he wrote the first uh, like yeah. written law in the history of humanity, the first letter in the history of humanity. But we are Arabs. I was like, okay, like is Hammurabi was an Arab? Like probably three thousand years ago. This is like again, like not to belittle anyone, but three thousand yeah. years ago, four thousand years ago. I don't think the Arabs were outside of uh, like Saudi Arabia. Like the 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 like the starting of the Arabs getting interacting mm-hmm. with other. Uh, you know, like civilizations and other uh, geographies outside of Saudi Arabia was to separate, like this, uh, separate Islam in the world and just like split and you know, during the Fituhat, mm-hmm. what like uh, the, uh, like called in the Muslim, the word. Yes, the word. exactly. Yeah. So that is why like the emphasis. The, the conquest, conquest sorry.
0: The conquests of the That's Islam, right. yes.
1: So this is like, that is the thing of f- focusing on oppressing other identities, but you wanna like, you wanna be. Uh, historically accurate, but you want to be nationalist with today's standards like it doesn't go together yeah there's actually there was like a like you know we we talked about uh, making our podcast also like includes like a fun part uh I was watching uh in recent uh like a video from Iraqi politician speaking, and there was a joke about who is better the Shah or the current mullahs in Iran, and they say like it's a, a like anecdote about someone dies and like goes to the other side. And uh, they, they walk to the heaven, and instead of seeing Khomeini there, they see the Shah in, the, in, in there, in mm-hmm. heaven. And they ask, yeah. him they say, like, oh, you are the Shah, you killed so many people, you were very oppressive. They told, like, you were, like, you know, an infidel, kafir, why, what are you doing here? And it was like, trust me, the mullahs were so bad after the, me. There's 80 million Iranians everywhere, every morning, when they wake up, they say, like, oh, God bless the Shah. like, you know, not God bless, Rahmat for the Shah, how great he was, yeah. and all these uh, mm-hmm. like people just like sending me their blessings over the last 40 years, it was enough to move me from hell <laughs> to heaven.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can see that definitely. <laughs> definitely, I and I, I, I do want to jump in that, but I, you know, uh, let's say what they did, I mean, what they did was terrible, like, especially like. For women, like I, 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 you know, sometimes I say about what's what's happening in Iran. And people laugh at me because they don't believe it. Like I tell them, like, okay, as a woman, I can sing in public, and like I told this to a Brazilian colleague of mine. She looked at me and she started laughing. I was like, I'm not kidding. This is true, and I, you know, I can keep going. You, you, you're not allowed to dance as a woman. Your, um, uh, your testimony as a witness counts half as a man. Your inheritance half is that, half that the is size of inheritance. That's
1: international. actually one of the things that uh, in Iraq, Saddam Hussein changed. So in Iraq, the women gets half of what men gets unless uh, if, if their father, like they say, they are getting inheritance from their father and they dedicate that they want to supply to be through the Sharia laws, they get half. But if they want to do it with the mm-hmm. government law, they get equal.
0: Nice. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. In Iran, you don't have the choice because because the Sharia law, after the Islamic Republic, the Sharia law became the law. It, it got uh, priority over the human rights, which says men and women are equal. you know, in Islam. It was like, no, there is this inequalities, um, um, you know, the witness, there's, there is, um, you know, all sorts of other things, like the the coverage, the women's dress code is very heavily regulated in Iran. Like I I have to cover my hair when I go out of the house, and I, you know, I have to cover my my I have to cover my hair going to school. If I do not adhere to that dress code, I can't mm-hmm. get an education. Um, and I, I, you know, how, how can you do that to a child, to a seven year old? Say you have to put this like piece of cloth on your head, or you can't yeah, go I, to school. I recently
1: learned about the Bahá'ís in Iran as well, and they don't have the right to go to universities, and they, they have an like exactly. you know, underground institution that they go study there and uh, fortunately Mm -hmm. that the diploma of that institution is recognized in the west so they can come and continue their education there this is like the baha'is is is like another fascinating topic for me in iran about the level of oppression to them and i think this is also like a good segue for us to talk about like minorities in our countries so like we talked about Mm -hmm. the uh, political instability we talked about the start of like where all this started and they went all the way down but through i think all through these changes, what is get lost in the middle is the way that minorities are treated.
0: And this is terrible. As you said, the Baha'is uh, cannot get higher education. Um, they are banned from having certain posts mm-hmm. in, in the government and in the universities around the teaching. Like during, like after a couple of years after revolution in Iran, the Islamic Republic went through all like mm-hmm. universities, um, hospitals. They, 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 expelled they fired Baha'is from Mm -hmm. their positions yeah Mm. well I
1: I could say like for me as like someone who like both of my parents are from minorities so it was very interesting to like grow up in that although like as I said in in our previous episode my parents were very open-minded and very protective to us and that was the biggest luck that I had that I lived in that bubble where I had the chance to basically get ready for the outside world like even though with that is like when I, in my day-to-day interactions with my surroundings, with my coworkers, I realized how deep the trauma of, like, being a minority in this country. So, like, two things that constantly comes to my mm-hmm. mind. One of them is, like, fear of authority. That authority, like, could mm-hmm. be the government, could be the police. Like, when the police passes by, like, even in San Francisco, like, people protest the police in the street. I just, I sit <laughs> straight. I was like, okay, the police is here. Hopefully, nothing is going to happen. Like, fear from my manager at work. It's, oh, wow. How it's, was I, that? It's just like anyone with like authority oh authority authority yeah i get it and like i work with one of the best managers i worked previously like in all in all of my jobs currently and it's just like it's i told him one time i was like it is in my brain do not take anything personally like i have that yeah yeah the other thing yeah the feeling of that you don't belong to a place that like okay you are here just because uh, you know like the the main culture, which is like the Arabic culture in in Iraq and the Persian culture in Iran, the main culture is like basically the, you are here because you just like you are you know like plus one to us. If we don't exist, if you are your superiors decide that you don't you don't want to be here, you just you can just go go away.
0: Yeah, and that, that that's that's shameful. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that,
1: but you know I I kind of I kind
0: of feel that because like going back to especially the issue of authority, there is such basic rights of you that are taken away from you, that just breathing is breaking the law in a sense. Like, you know, in Iran, like you, you look at like, you know, for me, dancing is illegal. So like for me being happy and dancing in street is like, I have to break the law to do that. Like if in a summer day I'm walking in, in the street and it's really hot and I wanna take the scarf off my head to just feel a breeze. I'm doing something illegal, so like I'm always in trouble <laughs> by doing all this. So it it brings that fear of authority, and then I always say there's also this disrespectful for law because you you know law is fundamentally against you, and yeah, you know, and we, and you know we always have bad laws like slavery was a law, right? So we got rid of it at some point. So um and and there's always this this um, thing in Iran that a lot of people, oh, hijab is the law of the land. You have to obey it. I was like, no, I don't want to. I want my hair to feel the breeze, and I want to be able to dress the way I want. I I like. I don't want to be, like, overtly, like, you know, sexual or anything. I just want to be very modest dressing, and and I do dress modest.
1: It is your choice. Like, it's like society, again, I think this is one of the most important things that I learned from America is like, even if you don't like me, even if you disagree with me, we like, we respect each other. I disagree yes, with some exactly. people, but we, I work together. I am not best friends with them, but we can work together. We can, yeah. uh, you know, be in like social environments together. I wouldn't have a deep conversation. I wouldn't do a podcast with them, but like, it's just yeah. <laughs> like it, the feel of respect, yeah, existence and the thought and the way of living for the other person.
0: Exactly, but you know, there's 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 shades of it. Like there there's one level is respect, but then at the at the level you see in Iran, this right has taken away so much that you're actually trampling mm-hmm. on on human rights of somebody. It's not just even inclusiveness or respect of somebody, but just taking the basic right of somebody. Like mm-hmm. in case of Bahá'ís, uh, you know, they they've been cornered. And then there's other things like, especially with people who don't speak. Persian as a language like Kurdish but Baluchi people Arabs Azerbaijanis we like you know meet to including we grow up as an, a different native language and then you go to school and in Iran the mm-hmm. schools are on Persian they are not even um, bilingual like now i think recently for example in Azerbaijan mm-hmm. there are some private schools that let you do bilingual very recent thing but before that like you mm, Grow up with the language, and then you have to go to school, and you are forced to n- learn a new school and get education mm-hmm. at the same time. And uh, I feel that as an, uh, you know, as a hardship to to the people, and like them having the right to learn in their language should be included uh, with us bringing them together in that uh, with that mm-hmm. national identity. Well, I can
1: totally relate to that because one of my earliest memories in Iraq was. Uh, When like this is again the fear of authority and the that the uh, feeling of you don't belong. I was very young. I don't remember the age, and I was speaking in Turkish to one of my classmates, which is also Turkish. Like the area where I lived in Kirkuk and the region, especially the neighborhood, everyone in the school I went spoke Turkish as a first language. We all learned Arabic uh, when we went to school, and that creates like I still to today when I talk about when I when I think or when when I make want to make a joke, I talk. I mix Arabic and Turkish with my sister. And, like I try to get away from that to say yeah. like just within Turkish, just to like, you know, be able to think in one language. But uh one of my earliest memories was like I was speaking to another classmate who was like also Turkish or Turkmen, and the teacher came to us and she was like, speak the correct language. And I was like to a child, like I didn't oh. know and like the correct language basically is Arabic. And like when I went home and I talked to my dad about it, I was like learned that. In public areas which is like schools government place uh, you know like buildings when you are going to like if you want to do i don't know like if you want to buy a car if you want to get an id you have to speak in, in the official language when you are within the building and uh, the, like yeah. another memory mm-hmm. is when also like an early memory i was a child and my dad came home and it was like well, I just uh, we changed our ethnicity. We are Arabs now, and I didn't get it at the time. And uh, the funny thing at the time was, like, the Turks or the Turkmen's in Iraq, they were not allowed to buy houses and trucks, pickup trucks. If you have, so you go to the government oh, wow. and you give a, a petition, and the petition called uh, uh, was under the ethnicity correction law, and you will say, okay, this is mm-hmm. my my ancestors taught me that I was this. But I really think that's wrong. So I want to change it. You take that petition and then you'll be able to buy a house or a truck with that. One.
0: Oh, my God. That's, you know, just the name of that law sounds so oppressive, like yeah. ethnicity correction. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like it reminds me of the, you know, the well, the camps in China right now. that we The Uyghur, yeah, the Uyghur and, camps and right in China. Like, like um, it's, it's the <laughs> thing is the,
1: the, the ideology, the idea that the government supported was that uh, you know like the Turks in Iraq they would always say it's like you were the slaves of the Ottoman Empire and you lost your identity while you were serving them and uh, now like uh, you know like you just you know we are taking you back to your roots there is oh a my similar God. theory in but that it... among Persian nationalists in Azerbaijan as well like that the Azerbaijanis were you know ethnically uh, like or like you know Iranis, Iranian people who were like lost their language under the rule of the Safavid Empire which is for me is very absurd
0: uh, I think yeah. it was Saljuqian, but, but yeah, the same. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was ethnically like Persian inheritance, but they were ruled by Saljuqis who speak, you know, Azerbaijani. So they changed the language, but they're ethnically the same group. Yeah. I heard this theory before. Actually, I think I read it in a book and, you know, I, I want to add to this that I, I'm familiar with similar stories in Iran, because I also think like, like you had to lie to mm-hmm. government constantly, like, if you didn't believe in hijab, you know, if you went to school and like you were asked if your parents like wore a scarf, if your mother wore a hijab in front of your uncle, your 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 great brother sister, you have to say yes, even if she didn't. If you had at home a VHS mm-hmm. and you were able to watch videos from um like you know MTV or Hollywood, you have to say you don't have it. You have to say you didn't have like satellites. You had to say you'd never played cards because it was all illegal. You have to say you don't play to Western music, even if you did. So I I always think this created a dual life for Iranians or like Iraqis who kind of mm-hmm. like pretend to be something else to be able to to just breathe in that society and not be harassed, not put mm-hmm. in jail, not be fined. Um, because if you had you know illegal tapes and somebody found you they could have jailed you they could have given you i think mm-hmm. you know the the punishment is either a, mm-hmm. uh, 72 lashes and jail time between two days to 60 days for like i mean for at least for her job is that and i think for other things you could also get lashed. you could get fined you could get put in prison for having such simple desires yeah, as to well, listen it, to it some music. Was the
1: satellites actually if you have a satellite dish uh, and the the head of the household like my dad will be put in jail up to two two years if the house yeah. I know I, I visited Iran Uh-oh. and they call it Mahori. Basically everyone have it but no one you know like no one really tells each other. Right?
0: No, it's just yeah. Yeah. So but this is this is happening during <laughs> the Saddam Hussein, the, the, the yes. yeah. right? Okay. And and they are they're not. Are they doing because of religion or is this as no, all the like no, ethnic? Um, it wasn't you know,
1: religion. Understand what I'm saying. The main ideology was: <clears throat> Are you with or against the government? So that that was the mm-hmm. fine line. That is why a lot of people, like my parents' generation, they are very apolitical. They don't get involved in politics. It took like they don't even want to vote in the elections after 2003 because it's like no politics. It's dirty. It causes a lot of problems because for 35 years that was what was taught to them. So it was. Uh, it, that's I think that's the biggest difference between uh, Iran and Iraq is like in Iran, there is like you go vote, you know, like it it's staged election. You have like four people who all are blessed by yeah. uh, like uh, the leader, like the like the Ali Khamenei. And then uh, you choose one of the ones. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you know, like y- your mom tell you, yeah. Do you want to eat rice or uh, spaghetti? There's two options. There's no bread. What if I want bread, okay? <laughs> yes. that's, that's, that's the exactly. but in, in Iraq, there was no option. So, like, my first time I went to uh, vote in an election was in 2002. And I was 17 years old. I went to vote on behalf of my parents. And uh, it was the last election was held mm-hmm. before uh, the 2003s, uh, like, overthrown Saddam Hussein's regime. And uh, I went, I took my mm-hmm. parents' IDs because they were working. I said, I'm here to vote on behalf of my parents. Went, they took the ID, they gave me mm-hmm. the ballot. The ballot was only one name, only Saddam Hussein on the ballot. You vote yes or no, okay?
0: Oh, wow. And there's an advance
1: oh, to that. Oh, wow. when, okay. When I got the ballot, yes, was already marked, okay? So you take it, Oh you, my. Like, God. you fold the ballot, you throw it in a box, and then they give you a chocolate.
0: So Oh my God! This this is this is funny by today's standards, but but I'm recently just starting to hear some stories about the referendum just after the Islamic Revolution to also approve the Islamic Revolution, and you know this is the stories I didn't hear as a child because I grew up in like the closed society. My parents never told me this, and I hearing from you know Iranians out of Iran, they tell me you went to the election polls and the you know vote was also yes and no, yes it was Islamic Republic or no and there was a yeah. green ballot and I there was a red though. ballot. And a friend of mine, yeah, a friend of mine saying that she went to the ballot, she she brought her ID and then she was automatically given a green ballot. And she said, No, I don't want a, I don't want a green one. I want a red one. So they gave her a red one and they <laughs> cursed her. And this is all public because you you have to throw this in front of other people. <laughs> well, yeah, um, that's, so, I, I heard the story yeah. from uh, like yeah. Iranian
1: friends who their parents were supporters of Shah. And uh, like they said they went to the referendum with their car completely covered with pictures of the Shah. And they give you the red or like green, as you said. And it is colored in a way that people from like 100 meters away will know who, who are you voting for. <laughs> <You>. <laughs> no, privacy, no privacy yeah well i think this brings us to like a, a, like a very interesting topic is like which one is better like that is something that has been asked to us a lot like personally me and it's especially around uh, the time of the year where it is like the overthrown of saddam hussein and he was gone then the americans came which one is better and i always say the answer like i respond to the question with a question why do we have to choose between dictatorship and the chaos? Like, why do we have right. to be oppressed? Exactly, or but the country e- is in a way basically there is no government, there is no system. There's like basically everyone is doing whatever they want.
0: Yeah, but I, I think like you know, I think that there's a question in my mind when the mm-hmm. when the Americans were coming. What what went what, what went through your head? Were you thinking that you know you you know it would be mm-hmm. Saddam Hussein would be gone and you would have a democratic? Um, government or what, what What was your feeling at the time? Do you
1: remember oh, what was like, the environment we were, in Iraq? was happy. Like the day where Saddam Hussein was overthrown in the Kirkuk where I was, is like people were outside celebrating. And I would happily tell you that the majority of Iraqis were very happy with the overthrown of Saddam Hussein. The biggest example for that was mm-hmm. two to three months after the overthrown of Saddam Hussein, there was zero attacks hundred percent security like the american soldiers were like in, in iraq falafel is one of the like very like you it's like if you are running instead of like buying i don't know uh, like a croissant and a coffee and like a uh you know like something like small pastry a donut exactly instead of donut, a, donut. a falafel <laughs> sandwich and you keep going the American <laughs> there was this was a joke that american soldiers like ate so much falafel sandwiches because it was so safe that like they will go around and like there was time when like we will wake up there was a a big uh, park in front of our, uh, my family's house and there would be like 10 American soldiers playing with the kids there. They would give the kids their guns and like the kids would like mm-hmm. learn how to throw with their guns. They would just like, there are like certain like military plastic stuff that are like not hurtful. They will like give it to the kids to play with. So it was, everyone was very happy. I would say the only people who were unhappy were the people who were directly affiliated with the regime. But what happened in Iraq, uh, it, mm-hmm. it so I always say, As I say, like, why would you have to choose between dictatorship and chaos? I always say overthrowing Saddam Hussein was not wrong. Absolutely. I am in support of that. The problem was not having a post-war strategy for the U.S. And... Mm -hmm. mirroring the lebanese example which like you know i don't know if you know about lebanon is divided between the president have to be christian Maroni, the head of the parliament has to be a shia muslim and the head uh, of the government has to be like the prime minister has to be sunni muslim like mirroring the so and the lebanese example it started in the late 80s and it's like 40 years so 30 years now it's still not working like the lebanon is one of the most corrupt countries they have a terrible economy mirroring that example to iraq and dividing iraq into shia sunnis and kurds first of all a lot of minorities identities were mm-hmm. deleted. like for example Turkmen's. there's like more than three million Turkmen's in iraq we were given one person in the parliament yeah uh, christians all the christian wow. mm-hmm. there's like uh, armenians there's like assyrian christians there are kildani christians they all were given one person so the the structure of mm-hmm. post-war uh, how the country will be managed that was the disaster and that what turned a lot of people against the uh, americans in iraq but in the beginning people were very happy because we were oppressed for 35 years and like we, for generations we've seen nothing but worse like i told you i was like in 2003 i had four wars in my resume i always like joke about that i grew up in a world and like three other wars. <laughs> yeah it's very interesting. That's impressive, Martin. Helps me manage the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, I think, the same yeah. thing with you guys. It's like, which one, Shah or the Mullahs? I'm sure you've been asked this question.
0: Yeah, I, I've asked this question, but I guess, I guess, my answer is similar to you. I, you know, I don't want the Shah. I don't want the Mullahs. We want a democratic government that's run by the people for the people. Right? This is <laughs> what we learn here. But for me, it is. It doesn't matter it's Shah or it doesn't matter it's Mullahs. When you're oppressing minority rights, when you're oppressing human rights, you're at fault. And this is, you know, this is current argument I have with my brother. He's like, well, if you know that the mullah is gone, who's going to come there and who's going to rule there? And, and I'm telling him it's not supposed, it's not about who's come, but it's about how you, you let them government. As long as there is no transparency, as long as there is no accountability, as long as there is no respect for human rights and minority rights, it's going to be the same idea. It's going to be the same uh, problem. And um, And mullahs are. <laughs> Definitely terrible. We have a supreme leader. This is his official title. He has been in power for um, Mm -hmm. plus 30 years. And we know power brings corruption. And there is corruption all over the government. There is um, incompetence all over in many things there's environmental issues in iran there is a, a lot of economical issues in Iran, and all of it is a result of um, corruption in the government and there is mm-hmm. no accountability whatsoever because somebody who is in power there is there is no challenging that power and Iranian people are like brought out to the to their knees there was uh, in Iran in November two thousand and nineteen protests in hundred different cities people came to the streets because the price of gas was tripled overnight, and many people could not afford to live with that. So there's a countrywide um, protests that are oppressed heavily. Reuters reported 1,500 people were killed, 7,000 people were arrested. And there is definitely a will among Iranian people to change the government. But... I guess it's, it's, you know, kind of like case of Saddam, like Iranian people do not have this power mm-hmm. to, to make that change by themselves because they are heavily, they're heavily oppressed. They're heavily, they're, they're killed. Like the government doesn't use violence mm-hmm. harshly to, to clamp them down. And that's the story. So that's why I'm like, you can, you know, and a lot of people ask these questions. A lot of people now have, a lot of Iranians, even the U.S. have pro-Trump um, ideas because, oh yeah, Trump was hard on Mullah, so that's helpful for Iran, but at, at, at the same time, there are some people in Iran that like, okay, um, we don't want to have the um, fate of Iraq. We don't want to have the fate of Syria. We don't want to end up civil war. We, we want to have, you want this government change, but we want to bring something that brings stability to but Iran this after like, this change.
1: Again, similar to the situation in Iraq, like We looked at the history. They went from the Ottoman Empire to a British appointed king to -to back-to-back military coups and ended with the democratic chaos that we have since 2003. So the Iraqi people never experienced democracy. Like, democracy, I think, it's like we look at Europe, we look Mm -hmm. at the U.S., but, like, the U.S. went through a civil war before democracy was settled. They had so many, uh, like, you know... uh, Right. uh, Protests. There was like the civil rights bill in the sixties. The changes that are happening constantly. We are living one of them after uh, the recent uh, racial Mm -hmm. uh, about the recent unrest. uh, about the recent unrest during the during summer twenty twenty in uh, of the US. So there are changes that happen. It doesn't happen overnight. And uh, I think in Iran, if the mullahs are gone, it's not going to be you know like everything, it's not going to be great overnight. There will be people who will die. There will be, uh, you know, people who will be fighting each other because there will be people who want to to get power. And it is not surprising if, let's say, so in in Iraq, as I can give you an example, and you can apply that to to Iran as well, the Turks, uh, the Turkmen and the Kurds, and half of my family is Turkmen, half of my family is Kurdish. They both were oppressed by Saddam Hussein's regime. The moment Saddam Hussein was overthrown, Mm -hmm. the Kurds had more power in Kirkuk, where I was born, and because they were more military equipped, they had autonomy since 2003. So they, so since 1992. So in 2003, they were like ready to take over. Versus for us, like we haven't had freedom since the 1920s. And the ironic part was the Kurds starting oppressing Turkmen and other minorities in Iraq. So like now everyone is against the mullahs, but when the mullahs are gone, you yeah. guys are going to fight each other. That's coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And I, and I was hearing from somebody else, it's like the idea is like tolerance. You have to tolerate your neighbor. You have to tolerate somebody who doesn't think like you and have a different religion, have a different language, have a different thing. But, um, you know, I, I totally agree with that. And I also want to add to that, that... There is a level of responsibility that Mm as an individual assumes when you're in a democratic government, you were taking on a responsibility as a citizen that you're paying attention to your surroundings, that you're active, that you take an action to make your government better and you actually respond to what's happening around you. And that's something that does not exist in Iran. Like hundreds of years of being oppressed by an Islamic government, by different governments, have created a nation that's not very responsible for others, not very respectful for others, but not also responsible for themselves. I mean, there's a joke about Iranian that when you say Iranian to, you know, come for a party at four o'clock, they all show up at 5.30. And this goes on for everything else that happens. Like, There is this level of not taking things Mm -hmm. seriously, not taking action for yourself, not doing stuff. And and I think that's part of the culture that needs to change along with um, culture of, you know, being um, tolerant of your neighbor, despite them thinking different than you.
1: People, instead of just blaming the government. So, like, the government is terrible. In Iraq and Iran, it doesn't matter. A lot of Middle Eastern countries, the government are terrible. And uh, but what are we doing as people to change? So there's always the question, what did the government do for me? Like, okay, mm-hmm. What did you do for your country? That, that, that's also another question, and I think that exactly. is deeply ingrained in like, the in- level of intolerance among people. And it is just, it's not going to change overnight. It mm-hmm. will need a longer time in order for these people to understand. And I'm sure you know that there are two type of main types of change, one from top to the bottom, and one from the grassroots changes yeah if we look i feel, I feel yeah, like one exactly of the, uh, like top to the bottom changes is what happens in turkey after the 1920s when the government was uh like the ottoman empire fell and after that the, the modern republic was established and uh, Atatürk and his friends came to uh the power in 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 turkey and that was like okay there was a group of educated people group of government uh, officials who worked with the Ottoman Empire, group of people who were like military, uh, uh, like pro officials before, they decided to change the country. And That top to the bottom change is way mm-hmm. less painful yeah. than, uh, like the other way around, because the other way around you just like kill yes. each other until figure it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, as you said, it's it's less painful, but probably and um, the the more long term change is coming from bottom to top and more grassroots movement. That that bring that change that you as 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 a community as a society make a decision that it doesn't need to be this way. But I want to say that in recent change, uh, um, Iran, especially the Iranian women, have have done a lot for themselves. Like have stepped up and asked for their rights, which I think you know the beginning of that demand for having mm-hmm, I uh, a better government I think for we yourself. Also,
1: like once we we are talking about uh, minority rights, uh, as like both of us having being minority in some shape or form is uh, I also like to uh, So when we talk about minorities in our countries, like, especially in Iraq, uh, uh, I always like to start or start from today and go backwards about like how minorities is being treated. So like the recent one is mm-hmm. how ISIS treated the Yazidis and how they were left alone and mm-hmm. how they were enslaved. It is horrific. Like if you just write on YouTube and listen to uh, the... Uh, their testimonies in the U.N. or in different parts of the world when they go visit different governments and how what happened to, especially to Yazidi women, uh, with like what happened with ISIS. That was a form of treating minority because people want to believe it or not, ISIS did did come from outside to Iraq, but big proportion of, of ISIS's members were people who were unhappy with the government, who were people who uh, are like the head Abu Bakr al Baghdadi, who was killed, is he was a former general in Saddam Hussein's army. So the ideology that like I lost power, then if I yeah. lose power, I could work with whoever uh, just to keep that, and then it is like so that is of of course like uh, ISIS is as an ideology, it's an except like it's unacceptable, and I think any decent human being would be against anything they did, but that ideology does exist in that land. And that is the problem of uh, the, that's the problem that we are talking about that needs to be changed, that the society needs some change, that society needs some uh, opening, the society needs to accept each other, which is going to take longer. Under Saddam Hussein's government, what happens, like uh, the killing of thousands of Kurds, of Turkmen, of Shia Arabs, and there's always an example I like to talk about, and I learned about it after coming to the U.S., which is the Iraqi Jews. Iraqi Jews, it's very important because uh, Mm -hmm. the Iraqi government decided overnight that a community that existed in Iraq for 2,500 years, that they have to leave. Wow. When when has this happened? One of the things is uh, no one talks about it in Iraq because, you know, the animosity with Israel. The second thing is, which is the hurtful part for me, no one in the Iraqi society, all groups, Christians, Shias, Sunnis, Turkmen, Kurds, whoever you talk about, no one stood up against the government saying you cannot kick these people out. These people, 1,500 years, they were here before you. Like, mm-hmm. the, it's ironically, the people who kicked them out were uh, the royal family. Yeah. And the royal family themselves are not from Iraq. So these people were in Iraq. Iraqis were in Iraq before your ancestors came here. So, so... that, but it's the part that <laughs> no one in the society stood up against that. It just trickles down after that. And it was like you see, like okay, you didn't, you know, there is a saying where, like, they, yeah. uh, like under Nazi Germany, they say they came to the leftists and I didn't say anything. They came to the communists, I didn't say anything. And when they came to take me, no one said there yeah. was no one to defend me. With anything. This is exactly what happened, you know. Yeah, Iran. and it just were, trickled down yeah. from the what uh, happened to the Jews in the forties and fifties, and it just went today.
0: Yeah, that that's so true, and that's that's something I've I've seen in the Iranian government too. A lot of people like. I, you know, there are a lot of people's excuses. I don't want to be political, but oh, you know, even some people who have moved out of Iran and they live outside Iran, they don't talk about this. Oh, I don't want to be political, but I think at this level, there is—you have no option. Like, if you say you're not political, you're just mm-hmm. closing your eyes to your rela- reality that exists around you. That you breathing, walking is political mm-hmm. because it's controlled by a political ideology. So. You either like put your head in the sand and and you know pretend that okay it's it's not taking away my my todays from me today I'm not the one in prison today so I'm absolutely. not going to say that anything. Silence and is violence. You're
1: absolutely right. Are you optimistic for the future?
0: Well, I I always believe it's going to change for the better, and especially mm-hmm. because now we have the technology that enables people to share ideas and to. Be exposed to another ideas. And, and, you know, looking back, I think the world has gone forward, right? In, in general. When I left Iran, I thought in 50 years, there's going to be a change. Now, about like 10, years 10, 10 15 years has passed. And I think the <laughs> change has increased. Now. One interesting result of having such an oppressive government like Islamic Republic in Iran, there was a lot of learning experience in Iran, like the level of, um, people understanding and knowing and caring got, uh, got much better. Like, you know, at early 1980s, a lot of political prisoners were killed in Iran, were executed in Iran, and nobody talked about it. In 2000s, there was a Green Movement in, in, in Iran which got some traction. And now we see that even more people around the world know about what's happening in Iran and care about uh, and hear about it at least. So I think that exposure is going to help um, the change in the Middle East, but and the issue of, I guess, the issue of I'm not political or it's not my my backyard is also a global thing. You can't sit here at this point and say I, I don't care about what's happening in the Middle East because it's going to trickle down in the, from Middle East terrorism coming out, but like and. Uh, I'm kind of going to go back and talk about COVID for a second because the reason we didn't know about COVID is like a oppressive government that shut up people in, in China. And I'm kind of thinking if such a thing happened in the U.S., like say there was a um, pandemic disease and the government for some reason of a state decided they don't want to talk about it, the people would have... A way to talk about it and make that public, so the rest of the world no- would know. But in China, it was extinct. Like the spark of people, the doctors who knew about it at the time was extinguished. So, so, and the reason for that was like a, a oppressive mm-hmm. government who controlled the media, who controlled the people, and had that power. So the rest of the world cannot just sit aside and say, "Hey, I don't care." There's so much oppression in mm-hmm. part of the world because you're going to be heard affected a lot of by that. About
1: Iran, that there was like report of. 1,000 dead case today, 500 through COVID, 500 through breathing complications. I was like, what is breathing complications? <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I, I, I know exactly yeah. what you mean, like not exactly. putting the they, real numbers out. And that was might. one of the things uh, I think what Donald Trump mentioned at some point was we are giving the right numbers but other countries are not giving the right numbers so like whether you support Trump or not that is not the point of our discussion but i think that's very really true like government like iran government like russia government like yeah. uh, china they would i don't i don't believe that they will give the correct numbers
0: Exactly, and and then you know, and then like you know, the, the excuse of a lot of governments like China and Iran is like, this is internal matter. This is none of your business. No, it's you know, at this point, this is this is a global society. But going back to your question, yes, I think it's going to get better. It's you know, it's I, I feel like you can stop this change, but the speed of it depends on 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 the Western support of it so like after all this married are you hopeful that you know middle east gonna change and we eventually gonna get well to democracy? i think hope What's is always there that?
1: and i am an optimistic person but i don't think i will see that that change <laughs> well i'm 36 oh, no. so, you know like if i live 40 <laughs> more years okay which is like way beyond my goal is like uh i don't think a big change is gonna happen in the next 40 years what about you
0: you know i was about to say i'm an optimistic person and even even before like social media hitting off the society like this, I was hopeful that it will change in 50 (laughs) years. So I would see it in my old days. (laughs) But uh, I guess I'm more optimistic than you.
1: (laughs) I can tell you, Alnaz, I'm more hopeful for Iran as being someone who visited Iran, interacted with a lot of Iranians with different backgrounds in the US and outside of the U.S. as well. I am more hopeful for you guys than I am uh, for Iraq.
0: Well, thank you for that. But, you know, I think this is an issue that kind of tied together. We can't as a country in Iran, you know, try to better ourselves while our neighboring country, there's a problems going on, right? So I have this feeling that the answer to Middle East Mm -hmm. Ties all these countries kind of together. You can have an identity for Iran, but not address the issue of Kurdistan and Kurds and Azerbaijanis and Balochistan at the same time.
1: Well, let's hope that will happen and we all, you
0: know, can go back (laughs) comfortably and eat our kebabs there. Sounds great. Thanks for listening. Until next time.